Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. As fast as the United States Supreme Court wants to render decisions, we're happy to talk about them. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and I'm pleased to welcome you back to Liberty and the Law. Um, Towards the end of the uh, current Supreme Court session, the justices ruled on Carpenter versus the United States, a very intriguing Fourth Amendment case. And we're going to discuss that in detail today with Lavelle Law Attorney James Dore. The case involves the government's use of uh, personal cell phone records as evidence in a criminal case. Uh, The defendant argued that the use of those records without a search warrant violated his Fourth Amendment rights. And while the lower courts disagreed, a split U.S. Supreme Court ruled in his favor recently. Um, James, so many angles from which we can approach this case, and we'll, we'll dig in just a moment. But first of all, welcome back. Uh, the, the Supreme Court certainly has been giving us a lot to discuss recently, hasn't it? Oh well, yeah, thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me back on. This is a this is a fun one to look at. Uh, I think, uh, like we talked about earlier, this is the kind of case that uh, it tortures law students. So it's it's fun to get into it and uh, try to intelligently discuss it. All right. So in this case, a Mr. Carpenter is convicted of, of multiple burglaries and, and given a, uh, a lengthy sentence based in part on the testimony of a, a number of his accomplices, or at least uh, a number of those people who pointed to him. Now, with that information, the prosecution really re- relied upon cell phone records that, that placed Mr. Carpenter at the time and location of the crimes. Tell us first about the type of tracking that our cell phones are doing today. Right, right. Well, in this case... It- you had an original arrest of four men who started talking about this this ring of burglaries that they had been committing in in a, um, various you know T-Mobile and, and Radio Shack stores around Detroit and also in Ohio. So that's what gets us into the, the federal court: the fact that they they didn't stay in their own state. They started looking elsewhere. I think is what got the feds interested. But they, they one of the suspects identified another 15 accomplices who were all involved in this rotating. Uh, uh, ring of burglaries, and because they were trying to pinpoint uh, the defendant in this case to the robbery locations throughout, like I said, Michigan and Ohio, they um, went after the cell phone records in order to trace the movements of the defendant here, Carpenter, through all the months of this uh, investigation that was going on. So the data that they were after was the individual hits from the cell phone locations um, in, in the various, whenever your cell phone is communicating with a cell tower, there's a, there's a stamp created on that, a time event stamp. So this was the, the data that they sought and used in prosecution was this uh, cell site location information um, that's time stamped for, it's just basically a record of your movements. So that was mm-hmm. the, the evidence that is contested here on appeal the introduction is in, into evidence, um, but the prosecutor clearly wanted to use it. They, they used it in their final argument to the jury. Um, you know that he, he was right where the robbery was at the exact time of the robbery. So basically, their argument is you don't have to listen to these 15 other, you know, thieves and robbers over here that are all pointing <laughs> to this guy. We actually have some independent evidence that proves it. So it was, pre- I think, pretty important evidence for the prosecutor, and it shows um, exactly what kind of uh, 
uh, evidence can be contained in these these cell site uh, locations, um, yeah. how it can be used by prosecutors. And it's interesting because, it, you know, most people think, you know, when we talk about that, we're talking about someone making a call or, or texting from a location. But as we travel around, our cell phones basically identify local towers to connect to whether we're using the phone or not. So the volume of data is, is very extensive. Now, how how did the government gather those? I mean, those phone records are held by the phone companies. How how does the government end up with those? Well, in this case, they instead of using, like we would imagine, a subpoena, to the company to get the records. They used uh, another means at their disposal to obtain these records with the, uh, with the Storage Act. Um, the, the records, uh, I'm losing the exact name of it here, but it's a has Stored, the Stored Communications records. Act. I, yeah, that's, Stored that's Communications the one. Act. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, used that, they used that to get the records. And essentially the, the requirement for, uh, to obtain, obtain records under that is, is not the same as a probable cause requ- uh, uh, um, probable cause uh, finding that would tr- traditionally be under a warrant. So it's a lesser standard called, called, called reasonable grounds. So even though it was approved by a judge in this matter, really the, the only thing that the, the government had to prove was they had an ongoing investigation and the records were relevant to it. So the fact that they have an investigation was the grounds they used to get the records it's part of their investigation. It's not much of a hurdle there. Um, so yeah. that's really how they, they came at getting these records in this case. And certainly, you know, can easily be considered as a, a shortcut around that probable cause uh, process that you would normally want for a, for a search warrant. Tell me, tell me as you go through what you saw here, you know, because the lower court supported the prosecutor's position, but, but the U.S. Supreme Court did not. Tell, tell me about the majority opinion in this case. Right. Well, essentially, there were some Supreme, some Supreme Court precedents that, that um, involved the keeping by third parties of certain records. And um, one of the cases involved the keeping of records by a bank, and some financial records, you know, checks and things like that, uh, records of deposit. And another case involved um, the keeping of rel- uh, telephone numbers, uh, like a phone call record or a phone log. Um, and the Supreme Court held in those two precedents, and that were, um, you know, have been followed as good law since then, that they, you know, the keeping of the third, the records by the third parties, it lessened the expectation of privacy that we have in those records, and, um, you know, for that reason, among others, uh, there's, there's less of a, a protected interest uh, under the Fourth Amendment in those records, okay? But specifically in this case, those two cases of Miller and Smith, the court mm-hmm. declined, specifically declined to extend uh, Smith and Miller to cover these um, tracking of movements through the CSLI, and that was a cell phone, um, you know, the tower uh, tracking system. And and it's interesting because in previous cases like Smith and Miller, um, and if if I understood those correctly, you can correct me here, it seemed like, you know, both, in this case, both the majority and dissenting opinions refer to those cases. there was, you know, as you said, that certain expectation of privacy that citizens should have, and that they referred that back to the, really, to the writing of the Constitution. And while justices have tried to stand by the intent of the law of the founding fathers, certainly nothing in the late 1700s could have foretold today's technology. I mean, how, how does a court balance past and present in, in cases like that? No, I guess that's the thing. It's a struggle that they continue to have. Um, I think courts will, will, you know, as long as you have new technology and and uh, governments want to use that to surveil uh, citizens, you'll have this argument. Um, I think part of the, the majority opinion, it circled back to the Fourth Amendment a little bit in saying 
one of the purpose of the Fourth Amendment, a basic purpose of the amendment, is to safeguard the privacy and security of individuals against arbitrary invasions by, by government authorities or government officials. So, you know, they, they tried to bring it back to that um, in, in as much as they could. Now, there's a lot of Supreme Court precedent here. When I said that this is the kind of thing that case that tortures law students, that's, that's really what it is because you have um, the majority declining to follow precedents, and then you have the, 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 the dissenting opinions, you know, just bouncing around about which test should be applied, what, you know, what, what precedents should be followed, what should not. Because um, it's really a, a new area that was carved out mm -hmm. here. And even though the court tried to limit it to just these facts, they, they did carve out a new, um, a new protection based, you know, on that fear of, of um, using, you know, future technologies um, to surveil the public. So I think that, you know, the court's trying to, to um, uh, pay credence to the fact that their decision will have future effects and you know, that they, the technology is, is kind of always a step ahead of where the court is. Yeah, yeah. Um, once a month I've got the pleasure of, of conversing with Lavelle Law Attorney James Dore here on Liberty and the Law. Um, he is an experienced and highly regarded criminal defense attorney. I invite you to learn more about his practice by visiting his profile, lavellelaw.com, uh, and maybe catch up on some of our pod, past podcasts, which are housed there, <clears throat> along with a number of articles James has written. Um, at the beginning of this conversation, we talked specifically about records that are kept by cell phone companies, and that's what the, the government pursued in this case. And you just mentioned new technologies. Um, this is one of those questions we always say we could do a whole separate podcast on, but do, do law enforcement agencies really have their own tools now that they can track these things, or do they still rely on requests from commercial providers like, like cell phone companies? Well, I mean, it, it, I think one of the things they pointed out in the majority opinion was the fact that these records are being kept by a third party. It makes it even easier for the government to use them because they, they expend no resources in compiling this. It's done by a third party, whereas, for example, you want to surveil somebody and follow them, you have to put a number of officers on scene to do that, okay? Mm -hmm. So um, I think the uh, <clears throat> um, looking at it in that rate, uh, the technology, um, I guess I'm losing my point here, Jim. <laughs> if we can get back well, to the question, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, in terms of, um, you know, whether or not the government you know, has tools that they can be doing this type of surveillance on their own ah, at some exactly. point. Not, not even, yeah. It's not only just that, that these records are held, but there's other surveillance techniques that the, the government is always coming up with. And one of the, the things they have out there is a, is a device called a Stingray, which is really a cell tower mimicking device that they can camp out and capture everybody's cell phone information coming to it. So there's mm -hmm. other technologies that the, that the government is using and not being very forthcoming about. Um, in, 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 in again, surveilling citizens and, and that use of that Stingray technology. Um, and thank you for bringing that up, Jim. The use of that Stingray technology, I think we'll be following closely on, on this, uh, this type of decision. Yeah, exactly, because I can see that coming into play very, very soon in other cases. Um, you, you mentioned, too, and I want to squeeze this in here while I've got a couple minutes left, uh, the dissenting view. And, and first, I think you were surprised by how the individual justices uh, position themselves on this, but then, as you said, the dissenting view had some interesting things in it. What, what are your thoughts after looking through that? Uh, the dissents are all over the place. I mean, you, you have the most recent appointee, Gorsuch, here, who's talking about a possible third approach to analyzing these things. So it's a dissent. Um, he's, he's throwing out there 
where he thinks the court should be deciding these cases and, and looking at precedents and, and, the, and um, the balancing of interest between privacy and what the government would, would want to, uh, you know, uh, collect as far as information that's reasonable. So he's looking for a third approach. Um, Kennedy, he's kind of relying on the precedent um, and saying, you know, that we still have uh, valid precedent in Miller and Smith, um, and he, he's keeping it really, really basic on there. Um, Thomas is going after the CATS test again, and then uh, mm -hmm. Alito's kind of there with uh, um, looking at the balance of it, at the fact that this is creating uh, a hurdle for the government in, in cases going forward with simple subpoenas, deuces tecum, for example, saying, do they have to be supported by probable cause? And he's going with it. This is opening up a big can of worms here. So um, in their approach to third-party records, this is... Uh, this is going to be fun to see how it plays out in future decisions because as much as the court wants to limit the decision to the certain facts of the case, there's going to be people relying on this precedent and challenging other uses and other, other um, you know, seeking Fourth Amendment protections for, for evidence. And just a minute or so left here, but I, uh, again, a whole other topic. But it's interesting that as consumers – when we, you know, we need a cell phone, so we sign an agreement, uh, which is probably several pages long that uh, I can assure you most people don't read. Um, are we sort of granting the uh, cell phone companies the right to collect this data on us? Uh, I think we're just, and how we conduct ourselves on a daily basis, we're, we're giving up our privacy rights. We're voluntarily carrying around the cell phone. Um, there's one right next to me now. And uh, <laughs> I tell you, if, if the government wanted to put a tracking device on everybody and follow movements, Everybody, I think most people would object to that, but we willingly allow it with our technology and, uh, and not challenging governments when they use technology like this. It's our privacy rights. This is, this is our Constitution. Yeah, and, and it's, uh, it's fun, as you say, to kind of take a look at uh, the way it has evolved over time and, and the way that cases are going to evolve as well. So I, that, what that means for us is we're going to have a lot to talk about as we go forward. So um, my, my thanks to Attorney James Dorr for joining us. It's always a, always a pleasure when uh, he takes time to visit, and especially when we can take uh, the opportunity to dig in the most recent court cases as we were able to do today. I, I appreciate his insight. And invite you to uh, reach out to him with your criminal defense issues as well. You can uh, get all the details you need at lavellelaw.com or by calling James Dorr at 847-705-7555. We thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next month.